The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Robbie Gallaty of Replicate led a track called Creating and Sustaining a Disciple Making Movement. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. Now here's today's track session. So our, our uh, track is the Replicate track, and uh, today we're going to start off with a discipleship pathway. We, we're going to talk about laying a foundation for making disciples in your church. And so uh, people ask me all the time, my name is Tim, by the way, people ask me all the time, why are you so passionate about making disciples? And really, the reason I'm passionate about it is because I'm the product of discipleship and disciple making. Uh, when I was an older teenager many years ago, um, my neighbor who was lost invited me to go to a student camp. And we traveled about 100 miles west to go to this camp. And uh, he enticed me to go by saying there'd be a lot of good looking girls there. So I was all about the girls and headed with him in his VW microbus to camp. Uh, we did what we always did. He smoked cigarettes and I drank beer. If I would have been the director of the camp, I probably would have kicked myself out of the camp. That's, that's bad. Uh, when I got there, alcohol was on my breath. I was lost. Uh, I didn't know anything about the gospel. Uh, even though I had been raised Catholic in South Louisiana, uh, I knew a lot about God, but I didn't know God. I didn't find Christ in the Catholic Church. I'm not saying it's impossible but in the Catholic church that I was raised in, it was not likely because there was no gospel witness there. When I got to camp, I realized he was right. There were some good looking girls there. But even more importantly than that, they were different. These students were different from any students I'd ever been around. Uh, they not only talked a good game, but it looked like their lives uh, kind of bore testimony that they really believed what they professed. And so because I saw Christ in them, uh, a relationship with Jesus, they kept telling me about a relationship with Jesus. I, I knew nothing of that. And then uh, in the providence of God at the end of that week, I bowed a knee to Jesus. He came into my life and I've never been the same. So you can only imagine when I go back to my hometown, uh, I'm like a calf looking at a new gate. You know, I, I, there's the uh, Catholic church and then there's more of an evangelical church. I knew I didn't find Christ here, so I went here. Uh, First Baptist Church in Ville Platte, Louisiana. And uh, thank God that my Sunday school teacher, Conrad Bieber, uh, loved me. And, and really shared his life with me. Uh, through a series of events, because I didn't, I was different from the way I was, uh, my parents put me out of the home. Uh, Conrad invited me to go live with him. He was a rice farmer in Mamou, Louisiana, if you've ever heard of 
Mamu, Big Mamu. And uh, I lived with he and his family. And uh, they modeled what it meant to follow Christ. Uh, I memorized scripture because Conrad introduced that to me and taught me how to memorize the Word of God. I learned how to pray because I listened to him pray and he and his family. I saw uh, not a dysfunctional family like I was raised in, but more of a godly family. And, you know, I'm the product of discipleship because he took the time. He was a part of the Navigators. He took the time uh, to really invest in me and really help me know what it me means to follow Jesus. And my life has never been the same. Uh, I am passionate about discipleship and disciple making because I'm a product of it. Okay. Um, let me just share a couple of things uh, that show us where we're at right now. And many of you know the state of our churches. According to New Orleans Baptist uh, Seminary, the denomination which I'm a part of, Southern Baptist, um, they're at the level center for evangelism and church health. Here's what they've done. They've looked at all of the associational church profiles, the ACP, and they've determined out of the 45,000 Baptist churches that are in the United States, 89% are either plateaued are declining. Nine out of 10 of our churches are either plateaued, they're not growing, or most of them are declining. In fact, last year, more than 10,000 churches did not baptize a single person. Does that bother you? It bothers me. Seemed like the pastor could have led somebody to Jesus and baptized them. See, you know, just saying, you know, uh, seems like it. Um, Ed Stetzer, when he was in lot with Lifeway, was a research guy. And here's what he did. He researched more than 12,000 evangelical churches. And here's what he found when he wrote the book, Transforming Groups or Transforming Discipleship. Here's, here's what they found. They found the majority of members in the majority of our churches are not engaged in meaningful ministry or mission. Now I want you to feel the weight of that. The majority of members of the majority of our churches are not engaged in meaningful ministry or mission. What are we doing? I believe the problem is a lack of discipleship in our churches. I love the Michael Bream quote. Some of you may have heard it before. He said, if you set out to grow a church, you rarely make disciples, but when you set out to make disciples, you always get the church. You always get it. And um, we're in a bad state. So what we've tried to do at Replicate, here's, here's kind of a backstory. What we've tried to do is we've tried to look at the ministry of Jesus and lay that on top of the church and decide if we could work with the different groups and engage with the different groups that Jesus engaged. Uh, before we get there, what I want to do in our, during our time together is I want to talk about God's priority and purpose in our making disciples, and then talk about the pathway, talk about a practical 
process that you can incorporate in your church to make disciples. And let me say from the get-go, your pathway doesn't need to look like ours, but it ought to be similar. It ought to be similar to ours because it, it really highlights different groupings and different uh, groups that Jesus worked with during his ministry. Let's consider first the priority. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'll give you a while to get your Bible. When you get there, say word or device. Say word. <laughs> And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God's priority for the local church, as far as I'm concerned, is make disciples. That's the core of the Great Commission. That's the mandate of Jesus Christ himself. Before he ascended into heaven, he told the men who followed him, go therefore and do what? Make disciples. Now those of you who know the language know that make disciples is the imperative. Make disciples is the imperative. The other action words in the text are participles. As you're going, make disciples. And while you're making disciples, baptize and teach. And so all these things are very important as we make disciples. But the imperative, the core of the Great Commission is make disciples. Those of you who have a worksheet, look down toward the bottom. I have disciple making. Here's how we've defined it intentionally entering into a person's life to help them know and follow Jesus, that's evangelism, and to teach them to obey his commands, that's discipleship. So disciple making, we believe, would be inviting people to come to faith in Christ, and then once they come to faith in Christ, investing in those people. Bill Hull helped us a while back uh, uh, I read the book, uh, Conversion and Discipleship. Some of you may have read that. We've done a really good job of telling people what they're saved from, but we hadn't done a very good job to tell them what they're saved for. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. Listen, we've been saved with purpose. God's given us vast spiritual wealth. We ought to know our identity in Christ. We ought to begin to walk in it and walk in the purposes that God has for us. And so disciple making is that broad term that includes both evangelism and discipleship. And Jesus told his disciples, go make disciples of the nations. Go into all the earth. Proclaim the gospel. Make disciples. That's what he says to do. This was also the preferred practice of the Apostle Paul. Look at 2 Timothy 2.2. When you get there, say word. That's what we do at our church. When we get there, we say word. We'll get around and start. Look at verse 
1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice verse 2. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This was the preferred practice of the Apostle Paul to raise up gospel workers. Everywhere Paul traveled, he traveled with a group. Young men, Silas, Tychicus, um, Barnabas, others. You, you know, you can read about it. Timothy was one, his son in the faith. And he's speaking to Timothy here. Timothy probably at this time is pastoring the church at Ephesus. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you need to take what you've heard me preach and teach within our group or among witnesses. And here's what you need to do. You need to entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so right here in 2 Timothy 2, there are four generations of discipleship. What are they? Paul gave the gospel to Timothy. Timothy entrusted the truth of the gospel to faithful men and faithful men would be able to teach others also. Have you ever heard the term lanyap or lanyap? If you're not from Louisiana, you'd probably say lanyap. Uh, but the Cajuns in South Louisiana say lanyap. And here's what it's mean. it means something extra. Here's something extra. Listen, when you're looking for people to disciple, you want to look for men and women of faith. And you may want to jot this down if you're taking notes. They're faithful. They're available. They're intentional about their spiritual growth. They're teachable. That's the deal breaker for me. If, if a guy's not teachable, um, no matter what you do, you can't really invest in them. They're teachable. And then the H is they're hungry. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. Blessed are those, he said, who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled. And so when someone has a heart hunger for God, that's a prime candidate to pour and invest your life into them. They're faithful, available, intentional about spiritual growth, teachable, and they're hungry. This was Paul's practice. He told Timothy, this is the way I do it. Entrust the gospel to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In your ministry, you want to raise up leaders? What you've received, you share with them. And you share it in such a way where you uh, challenge them and plant that seed of multiplication so that they can invest in others. And you can raise up leaders within your fellowship and raise up disciples. So, number two, God's purpose. So there's the power to make disciples, but there's also God's purpose. He wants to bring about maturity in believers. Colossians 1, 28. This is Paul's 
personal mission statement. Here's what he says. We proclaim him warning every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present what every man mature in Christ Jesus. See, one day Paul knew he would have to stand before God. He'd have to give an account for our ministry. That, that is scary at times, isn't it, pastors, church leaders? But one day we'll stand before God and we'll give an account, right? Will we be content just to say these people were converted? They missed hell. Or will we be like Paul and say, these people not only were converted, but these people came to full stature. They're mature in Christ Jesus. They're complete in him. And that's what I want to do. When I stand before the Lord and give an account of my ministry, I want as many as I can bring with me, not just saved from something, but knowing what they're saved for and then walking in it. Accomplishing God's purpose and fulfilling God's purpose in their lives. So look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave, it says, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Notice, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. There it is. To the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ. Pastor, your church may or may not realize it, but you are a gift to that body. You are a gift to that fellowship. God has providentially worked in your life to bring you to where you are. And what's cool about that is that God's got an assignment for you. And you have the opportunity to fulfill the ministry that God's given. Church leader, it's not an accident that you're in the place serving where you are. And so the reason he gives these church leaders is so that they can equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I love the way Robbie says it. God didn't call us just to execute ministry. He called us to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. We're all doing ministry. But do the things that you can do to equip the saints so that they can lock arms with you and you can do ministry together. When we went to Long Hollow, we got kind of a bum rap. Some of our people didn't think we were about evangelism. They didn't understand that, that the church was very, very evangelistic when we got there, but not so much geared toward discipleship. So we really focused our attention on talking about this pathway and modeling this and discipling our staff and all the things that Robbie led us to do to get to the place. Now we're, we're saying... And we've seen people come to Christ all along, but 
people asked him, are you against evangelism? He'd say, no, I'm not against evangelism. But he'd share this line. I don't want to be the only evangelist. Do you ever feel like that way, uh, pastor, church leader? Do you ever feel like you're executing all the work of the ministry in your fellowship? God's desire for us is to equip the saints, it says in Ephesians 4, to do the work of ministry. That way we can all do it together. We can all lock arms and accomplish the purpose of God in the place in which we live. Um, it, it's amazing when you begin to equip people, they begin to get it and see themselves not just as a church member, but as a minister. I think every church member ought to be a minister. Amen? Every church member. We all ought to find our purpose in the body of Christ and fulfill the purpose that God has for us. And as pastors, as church leaders, what we want to do is we want to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Uh, I would define discipleship. We talked about disciple making. I would define discipleship as this, intentionally equipping believers with the Word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Spirit to replicate faithful followers of Christ. And every phrase is important. I'm intentional. I'm using the Word of God, the textbook, to equip believers. You can't disciple a lost person. The, the ultimate goal would be for the, them to be conformed to the image of Christ. That can't happen unless Christ lives on the inside. So intentionally equipping believers with the Word of God. The Bible is the textbook. Amen? Other books are helpful at times. But when people go through discipleship with me, when they're part of my group, I want them to have a knowledge of the Word of God. I want them to know God's Word much better than when they started in group. Attentional, intentionally equipping believers with the Word of God through accountable relationships. Uh, flip your, your page if you would. There's a, a quote by Greg Ogden I want to share with you. Greg Ogden, some of you have seen his stuff, Discipleship Essentials. His book is Transforming Discipleship. You, you may have seen this. This is a quote from that book. Here's what it says. When we open our hearts in transparent trust to each other around the truth of God's Word in a spirit of mutual accountability, we are in the Holy Spirit's hothouse for transformation. Isn't that good? And that's what happens in a D group. And I'll talk about D groups in a moment. When, when you have some guys and girls that, you know, men meet with men, women meet with women. When, when you have a group like that and there's a transparent trust and they're fellowshipping around the Word of God and they have mutual accountability. Accountability means that I'm responsible for you and answerable to you. When you get those three things going on, transparent trust, the Word of God, the truth of His Word, 
and mutual accountability. Ogden's right. You are entering into the Holy Spirit's hothouse for transformation. Uh, if you've never been a part of a D group, um, it's, it's amazing what God does. And we'll talk about the pathway in, the, in a minute. Um, number three is a practical process. The discipleship pathway. Okay. You, like I said earlier, you don't have to accept our pathway. But you've got to have a pathway. Okay. Uh, how many of you read The Unstuck Church? Have you read that? Tony Morgan writes there, and, and here's what he says. He says that the most healthy churches, rather than having a ministry buffet, have a clear next step process for membership and spiritual growth. So instead of having this pick and choose between activities and programs and Bible studies, there is a clear next step approach, a clear pathway. He uses that term even that people who are members, becoming members and people, especially new believers, know clearly what the next step is as they journey together with God. And that's what we want to try to do through the pathway. The thing I love about the pathway is this. It's a simple church model. It's simple. It's also a holistic approach to discipleship. And so what we did is we looked at Jesus' ministry to groups. And we looked at our church and said, do we have groups like Jesus ministered to? And, and I have several blanks there. The first blank, it's a bullet, is congregation. Jesus had a group of disciples, men and women, who followed him. 72, Luke says, there's some debate about whether it's 70 or 72. Uh, when he uh, died and was resurrected and ascended, there were 120 right in the upper room. So he had disciples that followed him, a group of disciples, a large group. That could be compared to our worship gathering in the local church. I believe there's great value in the making of disciple by coming to worship. What do we do when we come to worship? We, we're hoping that authentic worship takes place. We're making much of him. We're setting the mind's attention and the heart's affection upon God. We're exposing his value and worth. I read in Revelation 4 this morning, uh, as the elders praise God, uh, Worthy are you, Lord, he says, to receive glory and honor and power and praise. And that's what ought to happen in our worship gatherings, right? Uh, another thing that ought to happen is there ought to be uh, exposition of the word. Uh, we ought to have text-driven preaching in our worship gatherings. We open God's word. We, we let it speak. We let the word do the work. <laughs> Uh, and so the centerpiece of our worship ought to be the proclamation of the gospel, right? There's great value in making disciples 
in a worship experience. That's part of it. Okay? It's the church at large. It's the church that gathers together, the body of Christ that gathers together. Uh, typically, it's on a Sunday morning. It could be any time, right? Uh, and so the worship gathering is a part of the process. So when people come to me and say, I want to be in your D group, Brother T, they call me Brother T at the church. I want to be in your D group. The first question I ask is, are you faithful to the worship gathering? I come once a month. I'd start there. Because I know good and well they can't make the commitment to be in the D group. They're not going to do the homework. They're not going to memorize the scripture. They're not going to spend time in prayer. They're not going to pray for the other guys in the group. So don't skip a step or a couple of steps. Be faithful to the worship gathering. They might say, well, I come to worship every Sunday. I'm, I'm very faithful. I take notes during the uh, worship gathering. I'm, I'm tuned in to what God's saying and what God's doing in the worship experience. I say, great. The next thing I ask them, are you a part of Sunday school or a life group? We call them life groups at our church. And that's the second grouping, community. So there's the congregation and then there's community. That could be Sunday school that could be life group, small group, connect group. You know, there's 101 names probably for these groups. But they're mixed gender. They're usually between 12 and 20 people. Jesus had a group like that, didn't he? The 12 disciples, the 12. They live life together. They practice the one another's. Jesus spent time teaching them. Okay. And that's what happens in our life group, isn't it? Our Sunday school class at its best. They ought to be practicing the one another's. They ought to be living life together. They ought to be serving together and doing missions together. They ought to be engaged with the Bible together. We do sermon-based curriculum at our place. Uh, and, and now that I've done that, I wouldn't go back to anything else. Because it's, it's so refreshing to rehash the truth of the sermon and to ask the right questions, to drill a little bit deeper and go deeper maybe and, and get them to speak about what they're learning and what they've learned. So when somebody says, I want to be in your D group, first question I ask is, are you faithful to the worship gathering? If they say yes, then I ask, are you a part of a life group? And if they say no, I'd say you might want to start there. Okay. Because if you can't make the commitment to the life group, you're not going to make the commitment to the D group. Now, the D group, I'd call the crown jewel of this pathway. Okay. The D group is a gender specific group. Men meeting with men and women meeting with women. Three to five, we believe, is the optimal size. You might ask, how about one-on-one? -on -one? Uh, Robbie's written extensively about that. Go to replicate.org, and you can see some blog posts and some reasons why we believe three to five is the best. One reason I'll highlight is this. Many times... 
if you'll disciple a guy one-on-one, -on -one, they don't reproduce. And they're thinking, and I've heard people say this, Brother T, I could never do what you did with me. But you know what, if I've got a group of guys around me and act more like a facilitator and we're learning from one another, and then during the course of our time together, I let each one of them lead at times and facilitate the group. You know, they think to themselves, you know, if Bubba can do it and Joe over here can do it, then I can do it. See what I'm saying? So it's this, um, Robbie's written about this, this mentoring myth. Um, when you make disciples one-on-one, -on -one, um, you have to keep the ball in play all the time. And there are times when they think, I can't reproduce this. I met a man in Chattanooga, and he had made disciples all his life. And I asked him, I said, of the guys you disciple one-on-one, -on -one, I said, how many of those guys you think reproduce? He said 25%. And uh, he used, you know, Paul Timothy material and that kind of thing. And, and I said, doesn't that bother you that only one out of four, you mean you've got to go four years before somebody reproduces? And he said, no. He said, I'm just working with multiple guys and pray that, that a handful Reproduce. He was working with 12, 15 guys at a time, meeting with them at different times. At Brainerd, where I was in Chattanooga with Pastor Robbie, um, I was the group's guy there, and our reproduction rate was, using this model, was about 60%. Uh, and we moved from 12 people in discipleship groups to over 1,200, and we were set to be the next year to be way above that, uh, more than 1,500 the next year. And so the idea that uh, this group size is reproducible. Now why meet as a D group? You meet together intentionally for the purpose of spiritual growth. And even though there's no place in the local church where there's true accountability, you can find accountability in that D group. You're meeting together for the purpose of spiritual growth. Remember the definition I gave you, intentionally equipping believers with the word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so it's so important um, that there's this accountable group. And, and one of the things, the big three, transparent trust, the truth of God's word, and mutual accountability. That's got to happen for a D group to flourish. Okay? That would, would be what I'd say in many churches is the missing element. Look at the next group, the crowd. That's the people that live in your community. That's your neighbors. You know, and the idea would be you want to challenge 
people in your church to engage with the crowd. They want to share the gospel with neighborhoods and nations. You know, they want to share the gospel with people in their workplace, people in their community, people in their neighborhood, their families. Uh, and, and so it's so important. Now, here's what we found. When people are engaged in these four groups through the local church, they grow exponentially. You show me someone that's faithful to the worship gathering, living life together with other believers in community, a part of a core group. Jesus had Peter, James, and John. We call it a discipleship group. And they're serving and volunteering or doing missions. And they're engaged with all four groups. They grow exponentially. I mean, they grow like crazy. Why? Because they're doing the things that they ought to be doing as believers. Okay. Um, what is the metric to determine whether you're successful in these D groups? We call it, flip the page, we call it the marks of the disciple. When somebody goes through my D group, they ought to be more missional. You know Acts 1-8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So when somebody goes through my D group, I want them to see themselves as being on mission. I want them to begin to have a burden for the lost. And what we do, I do evangelism training at times in, in my D groups. And, and we hold each other accountable. Did you have a gospel conversation this past week? And tell us about that. Tell, you know, uh, and, and it's amazing when people are in the word of God. Uh, and and they, they minister out of the overflow. It's amazing. Uh, Robbie has a feeling, and he said this several times, that everybody wants to talk about evangelism training. And uh, if the numbers go down in baptisms in our denomination, they say, no, we need more evangelism training. Uh, but that's not doing any good because there's always a new training that's out there. And Robbie believes that people are not sharing their faith because they're drawing from an empty well. If, if they would minister out of the overflow, it would be amazing, wouldn't it? Gospel conversations everywhere. And when you're in the Word and you're spending time with the Lord and you're empowered by the Spirit of God and you're in fellowship with Him abiding in Christ, it's amazing you don't have to force yourself to share the gospel. It just comes out. And, and so missional. Okay. The second thing is accountable. I mentioned earlier being accountable to a group of guys means that I'm answerable to them and responsible for them. And we've kind of given each other permission to speak into each other's lives. Transparency ought to permeate every part of the group. And as you grow close together, it's amazing what God does. It's kind of like you get below the surface 
And instead of just being a surface relationship, it becomes more of a, a deep, intimate thing. Some of the greatest friends that I have, uh, well, I've been in discipleship group with. They've been in my group are, uh, typically they're in my group, we're in group together. And, you know, it, it's a friendship on a level that I haven't experienced anywhere else in the church. So that accountability is a piece of that. Transparent trust, mutual accountability is so important. The third one is reproducible. I want the seed of multiplication to be planted in the guys that I invest in. Toward the end of group, we're pulling out the whiteboard and we're putting their names on the top and we pray about who they're going to invest in next. And, and we, we celebrate, you know, I talked to Joe this past week and he said he'd be in the group and wow, we're excited about that. So a lot of people tell me discipleship's really taking off in our church and man, I, I'll get excited the first question I ask is this, how many of your groups have reproduced? Well, uh, not many. It's really not discipleship, you might wanna jot this down, until the mentee becomes a mentor or the player becomes a coach, okay? Without the reproduction, without the multiplication, without the replication, it's really not discipleship. Does that make sense? Because you take what's been entrusted to you, you entrust toward others and, and you're trying to help them understand that the gospel comes to you because it's headed for somebody else. The gospel came to you because it was headed for somebody else. Does that make sense? That seed of multiplication and replication. C is communal. Uh, if we wanted to put a K, we could put quantania. Uh, but, but the communal aspect, we live in community and uh, in a D group. And it's a smaller group. It's a more intimate group. It's a group where we're able to share things that we couldn't share before a life group. And so uh, the C is communal. We've already talked about community. Uh, the S, the Mark's S is scriptural. Okay. Here's what I love about our model. The Bible is the textbook. Okay. Other books are helpful. The Bible is the textbook. Second uh, Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scriptures breathe out by God and profitable what? for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's the Bible. The Bible's authoritative. The Bible's inerrant, I believe. Uh, as a Catholic, I was told, don't read the Bible. It'll make you crazy. And uh, I, I get why they said that because they, when they started reading the Bible, they began to see all the inconsistencies about the organized church and 
what God would, would have us to do, like call no man father and uh, some of the other things that were just radically different. The means of dispensing grace, and we could get into Catholic theology, but I, that's not my purpose today. But I love the Word of God. It, I felt like it had been held from me for years, and when I came to faith, I just had this love for the Word of God. And when you're a disciple of Jesus, you're going to love the Bible. You're going to love the Word of God. And the Bible becomes the textbook. Now, let me be careful to say this. In your D groups, you're going to want to have a balance between doctrine and devotion. Systematic Bible teaching is important. The way we do it and the way we encourage others to do it is we read and journal the Bible <laughs> daily. Okay, we do that daily. Um, in fact, some of you have seen Robbie's book, The Foundations, the F-260. It's a reading plan five days a week. You have the weekends to catch up on. But you're reading the Bible and you're journaling. You're using the here acrostic. Do you know about this? Do you know the here method? Here stands for highlight, explain, apply, and respond. So you highlight the particular verse. You read a chapter or two a day. And there's that one verse that really speaks to you. You journal on that verse. You highlight that verse and then you explain it in your own term, you know, in your own words. Explain what that verse says. You apply it to your life. Jot this down. I love this. Gus Hernandez says this. Knowledge without application is useless information. Very important to apply the truth of Scripture. You apply what you've read and the way God's spoken to you and how can I apply it to my life? And then respond would be an action step or a prayer that you pray to God telling him, thanking him for the truth and, and, and telling him how am I going to uh, incorporate this to my life? How am I going to apply this to me specifically uh, this next week, this next month, whatever? How am I going to do that? So highlight, explain, apply, respond. And basically in a D group, we share our personal quiet time with God. God's spoken to us. We do our hear journals. And then we're able to share with one another um, truth that God's shared with us as we've spent time with him during the week. Does that make sense? What happens if you don't make disciples? Let me give you three things uh, and then we'll have a Q&A time. What happens if you don't make disciples? The first thing that happens is you miss out on rich fellowship and accountability. Some of the richest fellowship that I've ever experienced personally as a believer, walking with God since 1972. Some of the richest fellowship that I've ever experienced. I was in my first D group in 1973 at LSU. Don't hate if, you know, you might be, uh, might have your own college team, but 
Mine is LSU Tigers, okay? Ha. And, and uh, when I was there, uh, I was blessed. I was a part of a group called the Navigators. I was part of another group called the BSU. Some of you are familiar with that campus ministry. And um, I was blessed to be in a uh, discipleship group led by one of the student leaders in the Navigators, and he was good. John Ainsworth was his name. And he invested in me. And uh, we had three to five guys. I, I think it was about four or five of us. And we, uh, we drilled down deep, and he taught us, and we memorized scripture and prayed for one another. It was, it was a great time together. But I've been doing this for a long time. The richest fellowship that I've ever known has been in the context of a discipleship group. Nowhere else in the local church I mentioned early can you find true accountability but in a group. And, you know, I, I'm honest with my guys. Even though I'm pastor, the, I'm the equipping pastor at Long Hollow Baptist, big church. Uh, but I, I try to be transparent with those guys. I, I try to be honest. You know, I'm expecting them to hold me accountable as much as they're expecting me to hold them accountable. Answerable to and responsible for someone else. So if you don't make disciples, you'll miss out on the richest fellowship you could ever know and the piece of accountability, which to me is the game changer. Nowhere else in the local church can you find true accountability, but in a group, an accountable group like a D group. Okay. The second thing is you miss out on rich fellowship, but the second thing is you fail to realize your wealth and your walk with Christ. You fail to realize who you are in Jesus. One of the things, one of the benefits, tremendous benefits for me in discipleship relationships is as we journey together through the Word of God, memorizing scripture and praying for one another, I begin to realize more and more the wealth that I have in Jesus. As I look at the scriptures, as I dig deep into the word of God and hear from other guys that invest in me as well, we're, we're investing in one another. I get to better understand who I am in Jesus and that's a game changer. That makes all the difference. But then... My walk, the practical application. Some of these guys share from their hear journals ways to apply the scripture that I never even thought about. And, and it's good. We're teaching one another. And it's amazing. And so you fail to realize your wealth and your walk with Christ. The last one is you ignore the only strategy that works. It's the difference between an addition strategy and a multiplication strategy. Um, in four years at Brainerd, we went from 12 people to over 1,200 and on course to be over 1,500, 1,600 the next year, maybe even more. Why? Because of the geometric 
growth because of multiplication rather than addition. Think about your church. What if you invested in a few men or a few women and invested in them in such a way where at the end of your time together, you would say, you take what you've learned and go invest in others. What could happen in your church if there was true accountability and believers not drawing from an empty well, but overflowing because of their relationship with Christ? You're going to have to figure out, pastor, church leader, some sort of pathway. Because the ministry buffet, as Tony Morgan says, will not work and is not sustainable. You know, it, it's almost like people do nothing or they suffer from analysis paralysis when there are too many options. But, it, but I found if you have a clear next step process. Sometimes people don't, when they don't know what to do, they do nothing at all. But if there's a clear next step process for membership and growth, uh, they seem to rise to the occasion and do what they need to do. And it's amazing when they're engaged in all four groups we talked about, the congregation, community, core, and crowd whatever you call those things in your church, they can grow exponentially. Amen? Amen. All right. Q&A time. And, and I'm blind, so uh, <laughs> thought I'd tell you that at the end. Uh, I'm legally blind, and so if you raise a hand, I probably won't see it. So just say your, your question, and uh, yes, over here. So every Sunday, somebody stands up and says, we want every person at Long Hollow to know God, find community, make disciples, and change the world. So that's our mission statement that's kind of overlaid on top of this pathway. You know God, or one way to know God is through the weekly worship gathering. You find community in life group, you make disciples in D group, and you change the world by volunteering, serving, and doing both local and global missions. So every Sunday we hold it before the people by saying it. And somebody told us that um, when you get tired of saying it, they're just beginning to hear it, right? Is that, is that your experience, Pastor? When, when you get tired of saying it, you get sick of saying it. But they're just beginning to hear it. And understand it. So, so that's one way you can do it. One thing uh, Pastor Robbie's faithful to do is that he'll um, preach sermon series. Like we just finished a series on the pathway. He actually preached, know God, find community, make disciples, change the world. Um, so because he leads through his preaching many times... Uh, he feels very comfortable to do uh, at least once a year, sometime twice a year, a series on discipleship. And we, we kind of tease him. He does the air attack 
and we do boots on the ground. We do the ground attack. Hey, brother, do you want yes. people are busy? Do you get pushback from people? Yes. That was my question as well. So yes. People are busy, but, but guess what? People can make time to do what they want to do. And, and think about this. If a pathway is a simple model, simple church model, you're going to have to make some hard decisions about saying no to some good things so that you can do the best thing. Does that make sense to you? Uh, and and wh when people say, I'm too busy to be in a D group, I'll ask them, do you eat breakfast at Cracker Barrel every now and then? And they'll say, yeah, every week, man, I do it. Do you eat lunch out sometime after work or, or you know, during work? Do you, do you have a lunch break? Yes. Well, start to use the times that you've already committed to doing things and incorporate a D group in it. So in Hendersonville, if you go to Chick-fil-A, Christian Nuggets, right? If you go to Chick-fil-A Chick on, on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday morning, it's packed out with D groups. Panera Bread, Cracker Barrel, um, Starbucks. It's, it's not as easy at Starbucks because there's not a lot of tables, but in these other places, there are a lot of tables. And, and guys are meeting together early in the morning to do the D group before they go to work. Thank you. So, so you can find ways and people are going to do what they're committed to being, you know, to do. Yes. I, I think the best fishing pond for D groups are small groups. And I think the leaders need to be involved in that. They either need to lead a D group or they need to be a part of a D group. It's not really a requirement, but um, if they're not pro D group, uh, they probably won't be a life group leader for long. Uh, so they at least need to encourage the people in their life groups to get involved in D groups. How do you do that? That's, that's a great question, man. What, what do you think you'd do? And preach it expositionally. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, Ro and Rob is a good preacher. Yes. Four Rob years. 12 to 18 months. Sure. Yeah. Now, one thing, one thing we did at Brainerd was we did the growing up challenge about year three uh, of this four years. And at the Growing Up Challenge, we, we encourage people to get together and read Robbie's book, Growing Up. Uh, but the late adapters, you know, because we're already going down this path for a couple of years. Uh, and when they did, they met as a group to read the book. And then some of them decided at the end of that time to begin their own D group. So that was one of the things we used. Uh, we would do training three times a year. Um, we would do training um, on the front end, like for people who had never led a group. And of course, we had, we had some guys that had been discipled and girls that had been discipled in college. And so as we promoted this training, we did have some that had not been through a group that we trained for this model where they could begin to lead a group. Yeah. Thankfully, most of my, 
So, so start s slow, man. There's no rush. I understand. You yeah, get some guys. Well, you got some good years in you, I Pastor. <laughs> yeah, you got some good years. Well, let me, let me, let me tell you, it becomes a logistical nightmare if you try to match everybody up. That's why we talk about organic formation. Uh, and what I would do if I were you, are, are you an education guy or discipleship guy? Yes, sir. Is that what you do? Okay. I would keep track of the leaders. Keep track of leaders. And let them have the responsibility to tell you who's in, whether it be on a website, whether it be of dropping things in the offering plate, or uh, when, when you talk to, are you leading a D group? Yes, I am. Who's in your D group? I, I would just keep a pencil and paper handy and let them write it out. Yeah. Uh, and, and then use all these things. If everybody do it online, it'd be great, yeah. but everybody won't do that. Uh, and so there are times when during the worship gathering, we would have cards out uh, in the backs of pews or in the backs of chairs, and then they would fill it out and put in the offering plate. And so you have to be very intentional. Okay, so when I, when I say we went from 12 to 1,200, we have more than that now at Long Hollow. Uh, Gus, our group's guy, will be here tomorrow. Uh, so I, I can't tell you all the latest figures for Long Hollow. But when I say that, that's not ministerially speaking, okay? Y'all know what all that is where preachers can lie about how many people attended service or how many people are in group and that kind of thing. I'm not, these are actual people that I knew were in groups. Now, there were probably about 150 or 200 people that I didn't know about that were in groups. But it's cool to me because... Uh, because I was that guy who wanted to control when I was younger uh, so much. It was so cool to me to have things going on in the life of the church that I didn't know about, even though I was responsible for. When, when I would find out about a new group meeting, I'd rejoice. And then some people ask me this question all the time. What about heresy and that kind of thing? People in the group come and tell you when there's a problem. Uh, that's been my experience. And... Uh, just on a couple of occasions, I had to deal with leaders of groups. One guy was teaching something that was, and then after we had coffee and talked about it, I showed him in the word and uh, referred him to Grudem's systematic theology and, and some other resources. And he studied it and then quit teaching what he was teaching. Uh, the other guy decided to go to another church because somebody held him accountable. So that was my only two experience, uh, experiences with that. Yes, somebody back here? Well, prop, every D group is different, but there ought to be some, some characteristics that are across all the groups, okay? Um, we believe kind of the baseline ought to be three spiritual disciplines. You might want to jot this down. Bible reading and journaling, memorizing scripture, and prayer. Those are the three foundational disciplines, if you will. Now, the way I do my D group is the baseline is Bible reading and journaling. I want my guys to go through the scripture. And incidentally, many of you are familiar with the foundations F260 uh, over the whole Bible. We, we, Lifeway just released, we did it for them, 
uh, a resource called Foundations New Testament. It might surprise you to know that there are 260 chapters, imagine that, in the New Testament. And what we did was we started with Luke's Gospel and then the book of Acts and we did it chronologically uh, and we had to space the Gospel accounts out. That's, that's the only difference between what we did there. But you go through all of the New Testament and it's amazing. There's a commentary on every chapter of the New Testament. It's, it's really good. So Bible reading and journaling, that's my baseline. Now, because I'm a teacher and there are certain concepts that I want them to really pick up on and hone in on, um, I'll, have, I'll have about a 15 to 20 minute teaching time after we share our hear journals. So the way, the way my D group looks like this, we get there, we talk about highs and lows, uh, challenges, things to celebrate, how was your week, that kind of thing. So somebody leads in prayer, then we share our memory verses. I do my memory verses on the front end. For those who cram, I'm going to let them, you know, lob them a softball. So we share the memory verses. And then after that, we share our hear journals. After that, there is a teaching segment. If you're a teacher, if there are some uh, principles you want to share during your discipleship group, some biblical principles, some, some key concepts that you feel like people in your group ought to learn, ought to know, you can do it during that time. On the back end of that, there's a time of accountability. I like text-driven accountability more than I do just the same questions that they can skirt around. If the Bible is speaking as we're reading during that week about uh, immorality or the Bible speaking about uh, idolatry or, uh, you know, whatever the sin is, we, we fashion questions and talk in terms of what we read during the week. And then the last thing would be praying for each other. I personally like my D group to go an hour and a half. Not everybody can, uh, can have the luxury of that. Most, probably at Long Hollow, go an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. I like to do an hour and a half uh, simply because I want to uh, give all the time we can at the end toward prayer. But everybody's got their own preference. Uh, D groups are going to look a little bit different, but, but they're all basically according to this pattern. Intentional conversation. We begin with prayer, scripture memory, sharing in our hear journals. Um, if you're a teacher, you, you do some teaching during that time. Or if you're reading a book together, you might have a discussion over a chapter. Um, accountability time and then prayer time. Yes. Yes. So when I did training, here's what I do. Uh, training for people who had not yet led a D group. Then I did another training for people who were leading or had led multiple D groups. And then I did another more of a round table discussion of people who are beginning to embrace discipleship and disciple making as a lifestyle. 
and we had to move from one room, which was a fairly decent, about this size, to another room because, because that group was growing. And so what we do is we would share a meal together and then we would um, have discussion, uh, open, you know, Rob or myself, we'd do some sort of, we'd share some sort of concept, we'd have a short teaching time and then we would just share what worked, what didn't work, and that kind of thing. I'd do it um, quarterly. So, but remember, it's by invitation only. It's the guys and gals that are really embracing this as a lifestyle. So it's not not an all call. Everybody, everybody who leads a group come. It's it's kind of a reward almost. You get to spend special time with Pastor Robbie and, and we're going to learn from one another. So that's, that's the way we did it. Yes. That's a, that's a great question. I, well, here, here's what, here's what we did. We kind of had a mindset. We want everybody to replicate. We want everybody to reproduce. That's not going to happen. Uh, every now and then I'll have a group where every person in the group replicates. And, and that's shouting ground. You know, we get very excited when that happens. But typically the best you can hope for in, in my way of thinking is about 60%. Okay. Uh, now what we've done is we would go back and we'd have a special training with guys who didn't feel like they were ready to reproduce. They, they had a sincere desire, but in their heart, they didn't feel like they were ready. Uh, so we did that and, and got some guys to reproduce um, and gals. But there's some that's, that's not going to. And you, you, know, you have enough time uh, your time is limited, so you better invest in those that will and not beat your head up against a wall about those who won't. Um, but they can certainly be a good supportive group member with another group, and I, I think you're on the right track on that. Robert, I think Gus is going to do one on uh, discipling your staff. So, so, but, but let me say this. If the staff hadn't bought into it, um, chances are your people are not going to buy into it. So we believe in this trickle down effect. And so that's the first thing we did when we went to Long Hala is we met with a group called Ministers and Managers and Robbie kind of showed them what a D group would look like. We actually were a large D group. You, you know, we don't believe in a 30 person D group, but uh, Robbie modeled what happened in D groups. So we actually memorized scripture together. We actually did hear journals together. We actually prayed for one another and we, we just kind of showed them and modeled for them what does a D group look like. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. 
At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. In addition to this podcast, you'll find many other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.